everybody, get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David Nicky Nellis on a fantastico. I say that in Italian, fantastico. Mm-hmm. Weekend in D.C. We've got a great show for you. Before we get into that, Nick, you've got a couple things you want to say. Absolutely. Be careful out there because your pride is showing. Uh-oh. It is pride day. June is Pride Month in D.C., but this weekend is the climax of pride, the parades, the activities, so much fun. So be safe out there, but really get your rainbow stuff on. Get all glittery, glittery and sparkly and have so much fun. If you haven't checked out what Jane Jane is doing, they are all decked out and it is so much fun but what i love most about pride here in dc is the restaurant industry totally participates everybody is doing specials and drinks and etc and it's all month long and they're raising money for a really good cause because in case you haven't heard the people who are lbgtq are under attack, and we are here to support them. We are staunch allies. Uh, in a month or two, I'll be telling you all about Chefs for Equality, which is a coming October 30th. So we love Pride. We're going down to the parade today. But just uh, everybody have so much fun and raise money for those in the community, please. And uh, I was not here last week. And there's a reason for that. Best show ever, by right? The way. Yes. Uh, so last week I uh, went to my very first James Beard Awards. Uh, four days of awards and inspirational speeches, and incredible eating in Chicago. But really, the highlight for me was I was tapped by Hilton to be on the red carpet and interview all the presenters, all the chefs, and all the nominees. It was. Just fabulous. And uh, stay tuned to my Instagram at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. You will see me, mic in hand, interviewing some of your favorite people like Carla Hall and Eric Adjapong and uh, Andrew Zimmern and so many more. Okay, now on to today's show. I'm exhausted already. Mm -hmm. All right. So Nikki met this guy on her um, industry night show, Mm -hmm. and he has a great product. Tommy Evans is the founder and cider maker at Two Story Chimney Cider Works. We're going to be sipping and talking the finer aspects of cider and cidering, I guess, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, all during the show. Um, Joe Farugio is an interesting guy. He's a bit of a renaissance man, especially since he's Italian, so we can call him that. Mm-hmm. He's the owner of Il Canale, known for here for its authentic uh, Verace Pizza Napoletana. Mm. It's real, true pizza Napoli- Napoletana. Napoletan. Yeah. Neapolita- yeah. He also owns uh, Amodo Mio and 92nd Pizza, and he's the author of a new memoir. I'm holding it right here. My name is Joe, and I am a pizza man. Mm-hmm. My name I is- feel like you should say that in Italian. It- Mi chiamo Giuseppe e io sono un pizza uomo, un uomo di pizza. Pizzaiolo. There we go, pizzaiolo, <laughs> see, okay, va bene. All right, and then, speaking of Italy, our mm-hmm. next guest celebrity certainly qualifies as a Renaissance woman. Susan Gravelli is the founder and CEO of Vietri, which is the world-famous lifestyle brand of Italian artisan-crafted dinnerware and home and garden accessories. Um, and she's also the author of a, a new book. It's a memoir. It's a cookbook. It's fabulous. It's, it's called Italy on a Plate, Travels, Memories, Menus. Mm-hmm. 
And it's an exploration into what makes Italy so magical for all of us. Mm-hmm. It's magical for me, too. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be talking to Susan shortly. Uh, and we have eaten there several times, and Schlau Restaurant Group's uh, Namako on 14th Street is justifiably a Best New Restaurant finalist for the Ramy Awards, which Woo! are coming up July 29th. July 9th. July 9th at the convention center. But the guy in the kitchen, the guy that makes I will be presenting. It, just want you all to know. Jeez, all these shameless <laughs> self-plugs. No, okay. it's not shameless. It's really not shameless. It's unshamed. Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. Derek Watson is the executive chef. He's going to be He's in there. Yeah, we're glad to have you. We're going to be talking that. First, though, Tommy, let's wet our beaks, as we say. Tommy's the founder. Well, look at what Tommy has us starting with. Go ahead. He's, well, I was going to say, he's the founder and, uh, and cider maker at Two Story Chimney Cider Works. Uh, Tommy, while we sip this, well, tell us what we're sipping first. Mm-hmm. Well, right thank here. you so much for having me back, Nikki. Um, yes, yeah, so this is our cider mimosa. Uh, we have this on certain holidays at our tasting room. We mm-hmm. have our plain dry cider. It's almost like a champagne, if you will. We'll add it with orange juice. Um, it's a great uh, morning starter. Oh, no, it's good. good well, good, tell good. us a little bit about how you got into cider. Yeah, why it's not cider? Like, it's not like little boys are sitting in their bed at five and being like, I can't wait to grow up and make cider. Yeah, I, um, Or maybe he was, and he was that weird kid that did. I don't know. Not weird. I I just fell right into it. I uh, moved to Maryland about eight years ago. I got an old farmhouse uh, in the agricultural reserve in Montgomery County. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was a stay-at-home dad at the time and had to start doing something. There were some old apple trees on the property. I've worked at breweries and wineries in the past and thought, let me see if I can make some cider with these apple trees. But wait a second. Did you buy the house? Because of where it was? Yeah, so I, I traveled around the country for about a year with my parents. They were ready to retire, originally from right outside the Bronx. Um, we were mm-hmm. looking to move somewhere different. Uh, ended up on Maryland. We uh, read about Frederick. We are taking a flight out to the West Coast to look there for a place to stay. And uh, the magazine article was like the uh, top 10 places to live in the U.S. Frederick, Maryland was number two. Mm-hmm. So we flew back to Baltimore, checked out Frederick, and loved it. So my parents still live in Frederick. <laughs> What's well, not um, to love? It's yeah, great. We it's, love a, Frederick. it's a great little city for sure. But you moved over to Montgomery County. So I'm about half an hour from my parents. I had a couple of things I wanted. I wanted about five acres of land and an old house. Um, and uh, uh, I can say, but east of Frederick is more my style. Um, uh-huh. So I moved east of Frederick. Um, I don't need more than half an hour from my parents, though. So I'm uh, right at that half an hour mark. But what is it about the Agricultural Reserve? So it's for you. wonderful spot, northern Montgomery County. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, all land set aside for agriculture use only. So there's still like larger amounts of land, old homes. Um, there's no development allowed to take place, but you're within 15, 20 minutes to cities and all the conveniences you might need. But is there a requirement living on the reserve to participate in agriculture? You don't have to participate. You can't have a business, though, unless it's agriculture-based. So okay. you, anyone can have a house there. Uh, it's a 25-acre minimum, though, so you can't like subdivide land. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to start a business, it has to be an agriculture-related business, um, which is where cider comes in. So I grow all, not all my apples, but I grow a lot of apples. I grow a lot of other uh, fruits, native fruits like pawpaws, mulberries, and crab apples, as well as um, corn for a gluten-free brewery I have as well. Okay, so you just saw some apples, and you were like, I'm going to grow. I'm going to take these apples and make cider. Yeah. Did you have to train? I mean, I know you've no. been, you just figured it out. I just got lucky, yeah. Did you Google it? I, I YouTubed it, yeah. Okay. I'm afraid the only thing I could do if, I, if that opportunity came to me would be cannabis. But let's that's another interview. Okay, uh, so let's talk about what you just poured. 
Tell so us I about the cider. Our uh, cider mimosa, like I said, we only have it in our tasting room on special holidays. Mm-hmm. It's our dry cider that we have as our base for most of our ciders. We add fresh orange juice to it, so it's a little bit lower in ABV. It's more enjoyable in the morning or as your first drink on a show. Yeah, it's really effervescent, but not overwhelmingly it's, so. It's you lovely. almost can't tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's delicious. Yeah. All Thank right, you. let's go into Joe. Joe Farugio, Giuseppe. Joe the pizza man. He's the real deal. Joe is from Sicily, Agrigento, mm-hmm. and he's the owner here in, the, in D.C. of Il Canale, um, at Amiyamodo, and 92nd Pizza. And I, as, as I mentioned earlier, he's just written an autobiography called My Name is Joe, and I am a pizza man. Joe, welcome to the show. How, how did you get from there to here? Let's start at the beginning. How did, how did all this happen? From Sicily to... Yeah. I, I say from You're going to say a, on a plane, but... small town to Georgetown. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. How did that work? Well, um, with the Michelangelo, not by plane. Uh-huh. I came by boat. Oh, I was on the Michelangelo, too. Really? Yeah, it was a piece of... Hmm. Yeah, maybe you guys met and you just don't remember. Really? That was you? <laughs> That's exactly yeah. when I was on the boat. But what brought you to the United States? Well, my, uh, my uncle uh, had moved to the United States... Uh, in the early, actually, when the year I was born, mm-hmm. the year before I was born, and then he came back in the early '60s and uh, and told my father that uh, if he wanted, he could sponsor us and uh, come to America. But how did you get into the restaurant world? Uh, I got to New York and Bronx in the Bronx, and mm-hmm. my aunt. Oh my said, God, Bronx is in the house! <laughs> and uh, my aunt says that a lot of people they open a pizzeria and they work mm-hmm. in a pizzeria. They making a good money, and I like money, so I went to work in a pizzeria. Right, but so no, that's but, funny. You have so pizzeria. much in common. She but likes what, money too. Right, everybody likes money, David. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> what brought you down to DC, okay. and when when did you come down to DC? Yeah, I uh, in 1978. You mm-hmm. know, I had a lot of customers. They will ask me if you do this pizza in, let's say, Texas or Florida, mm-hmm. you will do real well because there was no really good quality right. outside New York because mm-hmm. New York was a New York style. Sure. And uh, and that was, a, I got a job. I called a few places. <clears throat> I got a job, and I moved to Virginia. Actually, it was in Manassas, mm-hmm. Virginia, and I worked there for about six months, and I told my boss that uh, if he wants me, he's got to sell me 50% of the business. Good for you. Otherwise, wow. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. He wasn't smart. Okay. I wish go. one of my employees would say that to me, uh, by the but way. So, but what you were making, when you were up in New York, were you making New York-style pizza right. or were yes. you making Sicilian? No, no. I was making New York-style pizza okay. and Sicilian pizza. Now I'm making Verace and Neapolitan pizza, okay. which is like the old classic pizza yeah. originating in Naples, Italy, mm-hmm. that was created in the mid-800 right. and stayed in Naples for, for centuries. Mm-hmm. And then I went back. To Naples, I got trained, and sure. uh, I hired one of the best pizza makers in Naples, and I brought it into Washington, D.C. And that's Il Canale? Il Canale, yes. So Il Canale is in Georgetown. Is it the former Paper Moon space? No. Next no, door? No, next door. Okay, yeah, okay. Door. So how long has Il Canale been there? Il Canale has been there since 2010, January 2010. Okay, so really at the sort of, you know, because there was a sort of a dearth of good Italian food in D.C. for quite some time, like, you know, like in the late 90s, like there just wasn't a lot of Neapolitan pizza. There was, no. you know, so you're just like at the 
as yeah. it's rising here. What did you want to bring to the table aside from Neapolitan? Because like today you brought in you brought in cannolis and yeah, you brought yeah, in arancini. Yeah. No, How arancini. did you expand your well, menu? We we are we are uh, Verace Neapolitan pizzeria, which mm-hmm. means the real deal. But yes. but also we have uh, a bunch of size dishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scoglio, spaghetti allo scoglio, lasagna, uh, ravioli with mm-hmm. uh, puccini mushrooms. I mean, steak, you know, right. you know ribeye and salmon, salads. And, but, you know, it's a, a, a flag is pizza. Mm-hmm. We're doing uh, thousands of pizza, you know. Right. So it's, and was it hard when you came over with your traditional Neapolitan pizza? Yes. Was it hard to expect? We, to especially tourists because a lot of tourists well, no, are in your area you know come yeah. and obviously people who live well, here and back then deep dish was everybody was talking about armand's deep dish yeah, and, you know, yeah, not in 2010 but yeah as you say i had uh, issues uh, i mean the customer they were complaining because they didn't of my understand. pizza yeah. you say they, they will use this word saggy Soupy. And I say, I said, no, don't use that word. I said, it's tender and juicy. Yes. And you need a fork or knife because this is a Neapolitan pizza. People right. are not used to it. So I had to train my waiter to, to ask the customer, have you been here before? Right. They say yes. Then, then you know, you have a pizza. We're not going to say nothing. Right. Have you never been here before? We had to explain it. Sure. That you need a fork and knife. It's juicy. And it's like eating a meal. Right. Okay, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, I have some questions about your book, but also about Sicilian pizza. Okay. Okay, this is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. We're going to Italy. We'll be back in just a sec. Hey, Nick, let's take a couple seconds to talk about the point. Oh, the point in Buzzard Point. Yeah. Well, Buzzard Point is really interesting because it's a new area that has totally kind of come up out of the water. It is where the Potomac and Anacostia Rivers meet And now this development is there, and the Point D.C. is the very first restaurant there. So it has amazing water views, this incredible patio, fire pits. It is a great place to grab a drink and sit out and look at the water and eat amazing oysters. Oh, and seafood and sushi and steaks and more because we've done that. Exactly. So if you haven't been to the Point, it's time for you to check it out. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking to Joe Faruggio, who's the owner of Il Canale, uh, Modo Mio, and 90 Second Pizza. I want to hear about 90 Second Pizza, too. But mm-hmm. we were talking about um, uh, you know Neapolitan pizza. Okay, I have a question and, about Sicilian pizza. Well, that's pizza. what I'm saying. And even though Naples and Sicily aren't that far apart, there's a, there's a, a vast difference, really, between the two. But so when I was growing up outside of New York City, what we called Sicilian pizza was a thick like focaccia-like yes, pizza. Yes, Is that Sicilian pizza? Yes, yes. Okay. In Sicily, we make pizza inside the trays. Right. Which we'll let it raise and mm-hmm. then bake it. And my it comes favorite. just spongy and crisp mm-hmm. in the bottom and spongy and with the flavor on top. It's like tomato pie in Philadelphia. Uh, I don't know. Oh, God, <laughs> you should have it. It's so but, good. But, but uh, yeah, it's, it's really focaccia. It's mm-hmm. really the focaccia with tomato sauce and, and, and lots of, mm-hmm. you know, in Sicily when they started it was no mozzarella. All right. You obviously know your pizza, but you obviously know yourself, too. My Name is Joe is a new book that you published. Mm-hmm. What's going on in here? Why write it? Uh, why write it? Uh, I, uh, I pretty much, uh, you know, I went back to the, you know, when I opened the Canale, I was uh, pretty much re- retired. In, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, and, and I, uh, 
you know, I, I, but I, I had something inside me that I wanted to do before, and uh, I had a lot of opportunity, but I never took it. But eventually, I, I did Il Canale, and uh, and when I did Il Canale, I realized I had so much experience. You know, I've been in, in the pizza business uh, since uh, 1970, mm-hmm. so I had so much experience that I wanted to put it on paper. And uh, my really, my you know, th- this this book is a. Uh, I think if somebody wants to go in the restaurant business, should read it because mm-hmm. it shows my steps, you know, how I got from uh, being a pizza man, actually a dishwasher, mm-hmm. and then become, uh, you know, uh, you know, pizza. It's actually one of the beauties of the industry, right? So many people start as a dishwasher yeah. or bussing tables and then work their way up and then eventually own a restaurant, a bar, or whatever. I mean, it's really one of the beauties of the yeah, industry, I'm right? I was just thinking, I started as a dishwasher in college, and I worked my way up to being Mr. Nicky Nellis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of the same thing. I mean, he says that like he, shouldn't be, he should have a jacket <laughs> no, no, that says I, I, I should be Mr. Nicky Nellis on it. He should decades. be like really happy about that. This is great. Well, Joe, tell us, where do, where do we get the book? Well, mm-hmm. in Amazon, Amazon, yeah. there's uh, the hard copy and uh, also the... It, digital copy right and uh, it's available well before we wrap up with you why don't you give us like if you were to give a budding restaurateur a pearl of wisdom give us one or two things that you're like you cannot not do this if you want to get into the restaurant business yeah. and then so the restaurant business uh, it's a, it's a creature by itself and mm-hmm. uh, you know everybody will love to own a restaurant I mean mm. people that very everybody exciting. thinks they want to own they, a restaurant they think yes. they they could do because they have a good recipe or they they, they know how to they cook. eat out a lot right? they know how to entertain they, you know, they, they think it's, it's a magic but mm-hmm. what I say is that and a lot of people are asking me you know they come to me and they say you know I want to open a restaurant and I say what, what kind of restaurant and I told them about it and you know, they told me about it and then I say, do the restaurant that you want to do exist? He says, yeah, there's one almost like, yeah. go get a job there. <laughs> yeah, And volunteer there, even for free. Tell them to make your way. And realize what's the restaurant business, because the restaurant business, is a, it's a really... Long and hard. You've got to give your life, your heart, and your soul. And, and, and maybe, you know, you'll get, you know, real bigger reward. Right. Very minimal percentage of people making money in the restaurant business. It's very, very true. Well... Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank, Thank you, you for bringing in all these delicious here. treats. Tell everybody where they can find Il Canale, please. Uh, uh, we have Il Canale is on 31st Street, 1065 31st Street, Northwest. It's right in the middle of a Georgetown. Then we have also Amodo Mio, which uh-huh. is in North Arlington, uh-huh. and uh, 90 Second Pizza. You're doing Excellent. a couple of those, right? Thank yeah, you. We have two of them and two more to come by the end of the year. Great. Excellent. Thank you so much, Joe. Grazie. All right, that was Thank great. You. All right, let's go back to Tommy Evans. And cider. So, Tommy, when it came to doing cider, and how did you decide on the kind of apples you wanted to use to make the kind of cider you wanted to make? Um, it's a mixture of what's available to me and what I already have. Um, mm-hmm. So, there were some of these old heritage trees on my property that I've since grafted and cloned, so I can continue like their genetics on and the same apples on. I have an orchard of those I use. Um, also, there is a, a large orchard that I get a lot of apples off of north of Hagerstown in western Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll take a majority of what he grows as well, not everyone, um, but I'll, I'll blend as well. So if I get certain apples that aren't quite exactly what I want, I'll kind of hold on to those, hold on to what I have, and then make something in the far opposite extreme and blend them together to get exactly what I want. Well, so what kind of apples 
There's so many varieties of apples. And so what? many flavor profiles. Right. So what do you what? prefer? So the one I have on my property, I'm most excited about. Um, I have no idea what it is. It's a 100-year-old tree. A um, 100 years ago, there were thousands of apple varieties. Um, so apples have five seeds in them. Each seed is genetically unique to any other apple. If you plant that seed, you'll get a unique tree that will grow a whole brand new apple. So 100 years ago, people would grow hundreds of different trees, name them all different names after themselves or whatever, and then sell these apple trees off. So I have no idea what variety I have. It's 100 years old. Um, I know it doesn't exist anywhere else but on my orchard. That's amazing. Um, but I also use a lot of apples that are fairly common. Um, uh, Gold Rush, uh, John of Golds, mm-hmm. um, uh, Pink Pearl Porter's Perfection. There's kind of more dessert apples, a little bit sweeter, but they make uh, good cider once you ferment out all those sugars. Okay, what are you pouring next for us? I'm going to pour my mulberry cider next. So around mm. the orchard, we have a wild mulberry trees that grow, and we harvest them uh, or forage for them every year. Mulberry season is right now, so we're actually doing that every week at the moment. Uh, we get the mulberries, press them, add them to our dry cider, and make our mulberry cider. What do mulberries look like? Mulberries look like raspberries almost, yep. but they have a very mild taste, more of like a grape-like taste. Cool. Um, but yeah, they grow all, all right. over trees in D.C. Great. Pour All right. So now we're going to where the sky is tar heel blue. We're mm-hmm. going down to North Carolina to talk to Susan Gravely, who is the founder. I mean, I almost have, don't have to say all this, Susan, but I'm right. going to. Founder and CEO of Vietri, which is the lifestyle brand of Italian artisan crafted dinnerware and home and garden accessories. And and uh, if you just want to know what it looks like, come over to our house sometime. We'll right, because I have a lot of it. We'll open the <laughs> a lot of it. Susan, and she's also the author of a new book, a great new book, Italy on a Plate, Travels, Memories, Menus, which is a combination memoir and cookbook and all kinds of well, and an, a bit of an scrapbook, enter- too, a, in a way. A bit of an entertaining guide as well, right? I mean, you're in, you're in dinnerware. <laughs> so. yeah, so. a- a- absolutely. Buongiorno. 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 Benvenuto. So grazie, let's, grazie. Let's talk a little <laughs> bit about how you fell in love with Italy. It was, um, you know, I've been listening to your show, have loved listening to Joe and have loved thinking about getting some cider and and all the stories are very similar. It was serendipitous. Mm -hmm. My father was in uh, international tobacco. We had foreigners in our home always. His favorites were the Italian. And and, um, I had always... We traveled a lot. I was encouraged to travel, but I never wanted to go to Italy. I think it was because something was going to be happening in Italy and become a large part of my life. Mm. Uh, My father unfortunately died at 60 right after introducing the Italian conglomerate to the new owners of uh, this tobacco company and two years later my mother invited my sister and me not my brothers but just the (laughs) girls to italy right and that trip was the beginning of this love story that's now 40 years old but so when you got to italy but the business originally started with you your mom and your sister like you went you you saw, I read, in, I don't want to tell your story. I'd rather you tell it. But let's talk about when you saw the pottery. Because I think everybody goes to Italy. Like, I remember my very first time in, in Florence, not in Rome, but in Florence, seeing all the beautiful hand-painted pottery and, like, you know, trying to get it home. And I, it just because it's so special and unique. So can you talk yeah, about I, your how you took your passion for it and made it a business? Well, we 
stayed at a wonderful hotel down on the Amalfi Coast. Mm -hmm. And this was after several days in Rome, eating, enjoying just the environment. And we stayed at a hotel called Il San Pietro, which is should be on every person's bucket list. And that they re re realize they're going to spend all the money in the world going, but it's something you have to do. Mm -hmm. We went down. The I am rock. writing it down. She's writing it down, down right now. Yeah. Writing it down. Yeah, Il San Pietro. In Amalfi? Stay there, yeah. have dinner there, mm -hmm. go and have a drink there. But you go through an elevator down 10 floors that length through rock. You open into this incredibly beautiful hand-cut um, room, arched room. And then to the left, there's the dining room. And there we saw the incredible dinnerware of all the patterns in different colors um, with different animals, with flowers. And when we had dinner that night, that was it. Mm -hmm. We fell in love. We said, this is where we have to go. We ended up spending three days going back and forth. Should we buy for our, only ourselves, our friends, our family, open a retail store, having drinks with a couple from New York? who said, you are clearly in love with this. You clearly love to design. You understand dinnerware. You should import, design, and distribute. And that was it. Wow. We said, let's. But as, so let's talk about that. So you start importing it. But, yes. but at some point, you also start lending your voice to it, right? About what you yeah. want to see. You work with the craft artisans over time to create different looks to yes. to move yes. with the times how how did yes. you go about doing that just as you two have um created incredible relationships that mm -hmm. you're honored to be at the awards as an interviewer i spent all my time with these uh in these factories and mm. in the factories i built relationships and that is the key and the seed to life and business. Right. I love that. So I've got a question about, because I told you, I, I, you know, I lived in Florence and every, every other store has, you know, these ceramics in the window and all that stuff. I am partial to the, to, to the very classic traditional kind of Italian look. But not yes. all of your, not all of your uh, Vietri, you know, follows well, that. That's so, what we're about. well, I know, but I mean, so, but how do you, how do you, how do you communicate when you're looking for a new look, something different that still smacks of Italy, but uh, you know, Italy's very famous for its contemporary design designers. How do you get across? Do you do you rough something out and say, I'm looking for something like this, or do you just talk it through and see what they come back with? How does it work? Well, it, it works. It takes about a year to 18 months to create something new. Mm. And because I've worked with many of these people over and over and over, they know our look, classic, you know, all Italian with an American sense of style. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about trends, we'll talk about colors, but what we want always is the handcraft, the hand feel, no decals and color. So we do everything from contemporary to the very traditional Deruta style. Mm. Okay, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about how we got this in a book. This is David and Nikki Nellis.
We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking with Susan Gravely, who is the founder and CEO of Vietri. Um, Susan. And the author well, of the a author new of fabulous a, book. A fabulous new book. Italy called, on a Plate. Called Italy on a Plate. You see, I never get a word in there twice, but I'm going to write now because, because, you know, it's like all of that experience. I mean, a lot of it is spiritual, and that's clear that, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the book. All of it sort of was collecting in your head. What made you write the book? What happened there? You know, I've had for years people ask me to write books about starting a business, women in business, Mm -hmm. Italy, food, restaurants, travel. And this being our 40th year and having a lot of young, bright, passionate people at Beatry, we were brainstorming it and they said, it's time. And I went, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And so... Going to Italy, as you both know, and being in that environment is all inspirational. Mm-hmm. Every day is different. The food is different, though it's classically five ingredients. And I started listing the people and places that have been instrumental in helping me know Italy better and better and loving what I do. And I got it down to eight people or places. And I first just wrote their stories. Mm -hmm. And after that, I called them and I told them about the book and I asked them if I could do this and they would chair to chair to let's do it. And that was how it started. And then instead of putting in all my favorite recipes, I talked to each one of them about things that were important on their at their table Mm -hmm. because being together around a table whether it's a metaphor like right now or a real table is what building relationships is about Mm -hmm. and so they sent me recipes and we talked through them and and there we go we added recipes and then these wonderful young italian women went around with us and took photographs and Frances Mays, who wrote Under the Tuscan Sun, wrote The Ford, because right. she's been a great mentor of mine. She's not a bad friend to have, by the right. way. I'm she gonna... is not a bad friend <laughs> and somebody you should know, because she is so down to earth. So is her husband. They're fabulous entertainers. Mm-hmm. And she wrote this charming uh, beginning, and then she was one of the chapters. Well, and then, and then you know, the other thing that w- we really found so interesting about the book is that you know, when you get into the context of, of how you present all this stuff, entertaining versus hosting and all of that. And I, it, it really fascinating. So what's your take on that? Well, how do you see the difference between one well, and the Well, I other? wanted to talk about entertaining when you started and entertaining today. And sort of, oh, yeah. it's so, I mean, 30 years later, I mean, there's just a, a difference. A right. difference. You know, like David it's will different. say to me when I set the table, I love a set table. I love oh. to put it all out. It means oh, yeah. it makes me feel good. And he's like, we're just having friends over for dinner. What's or with all the... It's just our stupid you know, kids. It's Why just, we... <laughs> or like my kids are coming. I like putting the crystal. I don't... What am I going to do with it if I don't put it out? So can you talk about entertaining? Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, the difference is when our parents entertained, especially in the South, it was such an ordeal to make it perfect. And the way Italians entertain and the way I'm sure, Nikki, that you set a table is 
it's mixing and matching. It's sure. putting what you love. Fine china with ceramic. Things don't have to match. Mm -hmm. Taking flowers from your garden or a grocery store. But it's what are the containers you're putting them in that are things that you love and creating an environment where it is warm. Mm -hmm. and That's the word, warmth. Gather. And they gather and laugh and tell stories. And, you know, the perfect time is when you leave a party and you think, how much fun was that? Right. And I learned something. I met somebody new, entertaining with different ages, different backgrounds. It's all about what you learn from the person next well, to you and you eat something new and wonderful. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, it, it, during during my time in Italy, I lived for about eight months with an Italian family. It was a big family. Oh, and fabulous. And I was, you know, I would leave school and come home for a couple of hours and we'd eat and oh, then, yeah. you know, chill out and all of that. And... You know, the food was often, it was, you know, if it was Tuesday, it was, you know, you know, spaghetti and, you know, bracioli or something like that. But the, the warmth is the right word. I mean, I loved every damn thing about Italy and I still yep. do, but it was, it was really that sort of that all encompassing, all embracing kind of warmth. Um, you know, they're very engaged people, you know, they're really, they're as interested on the street. They're as interested in who you are as in anything else. And, they um, never ask you a question about what you do. Right. It's about where you are. And it kind of pulls back to Nikki's beginning about gay pride. Mm -hmm. It's a time of life where we must embrace each other. We mm -hmm. must enjoy each other. We must listen. We must bring people together because the world is small. And my father always said, when we were children, we had a small globe, and he would show Rocky Mount, North Carolina, and he'd show Rhodesia, China, Italy, you know, wherever the tobacco was. And he'd say, they're coming from this place. Look how small the world is. Right. You must travel or call us. The world is small. That's how we must live. And okay. that's the beauty for all three of us of loving Italy and taking that and bringing it Amen. Home. We love that. The world is missing your father now. I'll yes. tell you that. So, Susan, we hate to wrap up with you, but unfortunately we have to go. So we want to invite you to come live with us. Yes. Uh, please tell oh. everybody where they uh, where to find you, either online or the book. What's the best place? Well, Amazon.com is mm -hmm. always a wonderful place, and please write a review. Um, also, you can go to vhre.com. Mm -hmm. You can go to susangravely.com. It's easy to find Italy on a plate. Excellent. Awesome. Thank All you. Right. Thanks, Thank Susan. You, Susan. Thanks so much. Be safe. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bachi, bachi. Yes. Bye. <laughs> That's how it All right, Tommy, back to you. So this cider, I thought it was going to be sweet. And I think that's the misconception about ciders. Yes. I think that, not I think, there's a misconception with ciders. That it's just apple juice with bubbles. alcohol in it. Yeah. Right. So can we talk about the process a little bit of why it's dry? Yeah, and that fits actually right into our next cider. Okay, so, good. so far, everything I've made or brought out has been a dry cider. So the sugars are all fermented out. There's none left. They're real crisp and clean. Um, but by losing all those sugars, uh, you also are losing some of that apple flavor as well. So it's not going to be sweet, but won't have as strong of an apple flavor. 
And so a lot of people do expect a strong apple flavor and a little bit of sweetness. Mm -hmm. So we do make uh, one semi-sweet cider. It's going to be the next one I'm pouring. It's our Mon Amour. Mm -hmm. uh, it has a hint of sweetness to it, nice apple flavor. It's not sugary or syrupy by any means. Uh, we still ferment out most of the sugars, but leave enough sugars in there so you can have some of an apple flavor to it. All right, I'm going to suggest Excellent. something to you. Mon Amour is French for my love. I know. Could it be Amore Mio? Well, if I knew <laughs> I was coming here, I would have like, changed change it for it. today. All right. All right. Um, All right. So yeah. let's pour some of that and see what that tastes okay, like. Okay, and All now right. it's time to go to a Rammy nominee. Uh, yes, sir. Hey, morning. Hi, right. Derek. Yeah, so great to see you guys. Derek there. Watson is the man in charge of the kitchen. At Namaco. At, at, at Michael Schlau's Namaco. Mm -hmm. And we've eaten there. Quite a few times. Honestly, with Michael, and it was great. Without Michael, and it was still so great, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> which is so really much. the key. Yeah. So let's kind of start with you. Where'd you come from and how'd you end up in the kitchen doing you know sushi the uh well first i'd just like to say thank you for having me on and uh it's been just so much gratitude you also have to, a really uh, good radio voice yeah listen to you sound like the boss well, of the told, i got a great face for radio actually is what most everybody people tell says me. that about me um but just to be just to be nominated for the rammy awards and to be a part of the scene here was was something that was really important to me to be involved in the food culture and, and meet new people and uh just be really part of our neighborhood too so it's just i just wanted to say thank you for everybody for that mm. um but so, I mean, I kind of started almost just like Joe. Just one summer, I was always kind of a born food in guy. Sicily. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> immigrated to Chicago and started washing dishes, and here I am, 15 years later. No, um, but no. So I was always a big foodie. Like I was kind of a Food Network guy, like Alton Brown, Ming Tsai. Like those were all my heroes when I was a kid. So, I love Ming Tsai. Yeah. So one summer, I actually got to meet him a couple years ago at an event. He's a really nice guy. That's um, so nice. But I just like all of my friends, like we would make pizzas at home and we would buy stuff at the grocery store and like make our own toppings and like personalize everything. Uh, and that's where we started really as like teenagers. And then uh, I was introduced to like Asian food and Japanese cuisine. And it was just like worlds opening in mm -hmm. my brain. Um, but really I did. I just a summer job washing dishes and slicing potatoes. And one day one of the line cooks didn't show up and the chef was like, here's how you dunk French start fries cutting. in the deep start fryer. Cutting. <laughs> And uh, it all just started. Here's how there. to preserve lettuce but for so, 40 days. But yeah. let's talk about going and learning a cuisine that you didn't grow up with. Like Joe grew up with Sicilian mm -hmm. cuisine, but adopted Neapolitan. I mean, it's regional. It's still Italy. Yeah. But let's talk about how you went and just, you know, sort of went to another region and mm -hmm. adopted another region and are now, you know, an expert in it. Yeah. So there's so much that, well, one, I would say it's like, finding the right people to work for and to work with was really big for me. Like I definitely did that with intention. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of, one of the first chefs that had a huge impact on me was actually a Korean chef. So, and, and he taught me how to make kimchi and how to do mm -hmm. a lot of different types of fermentation, uh, which I still do to this day. Like I have my own kimchi on the menu at the restaurant. Um, and then just getting involved with the right people and really having intention and sinking into the culture and the attitude and the history of this type of cuisine. Now, was really. this in Chicago or elsewhere? This was in Chicago, yeah. So that's where I spent the bulk of my career cooking. And um, and then I moved to Who were you working for in Chicago? Uh, his name was Bill Kim. Mm -hmm. uh, he's still there. He's uh, He's got fantastic restaurants and ramen shops there. Uh, and mm -hmm. then I worked for the Boca Group for quite a few years. Okay. Uh, for Stephanie Eisert at Girl and the Goat. And then I opened a restaurant called Momotaro. I was Momotaro. just at Girl and the Goat. Yeah, Steph is great. She's... I got a lot of my uh, personal how I carry myself from her, I think, and just She's like the boss. fun that she has with the food mm -hmm. and also the hair, I got to say for you, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I opened Momotaro there uh, where I was for th uh, about four years. And then I moved to Philadelphia where I worked for a chef, Morimoto-san. Oh. Uh, so I was the executive chef for Morimoto at his uh, flagship like, restaurant. Now you're just Philly. name dropping. You're just name dropping all over well, the place. Well, yes. So I kind of got to go there. Yeah. Um, but that's how I learned, really. And then how did you find Michael or did he find you? 
Uh, it was kind of an in-between. Uh, we kind of came together. I was um, looking to move to D.C. Uh, I've been in love with the food scene here for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like a lot of light bulbs went off between me and a lot of chef friends. Like the, We opened the restaurant Momotaro in Chicago, and two of the people that I opened that with were actually on the opening team of like Le Diplomat. Okay. Um, uh, Wait, Star so is that, but is that restaurant part of Star? The Diplomat? No, no, I know the Diplomat no, is. No, yeah, so Momotaro is part of uh, Boca Restaurant Group. That's what Chicago. I thought, not Star, though. No, but they, so they, we all opened Momotaro together, but they were on the original opening team at Le Diplomat. Oh, okay. So I've known about and kind of been here and there, bits and pieces of the D.C. food scene for Got you. eight or ten years. We have to years. take a break. I don't want to. Well, you're going to hold, we're just, hold for a beat. But Mom. This is David <laughs> and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. We'll be right back. We are back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we are talking to Chef Derek Watson, who is the master of Japanese cuisine, particularly sushi, at Namako, which is a Best New Restaurant finalist for the Ramy Awards coming up on July 29th. It's very exciting, because there were a lot of new restaurants this year. And I'm ticked yeah. off at you, because now I have to be in a tuxedo on July 29th. No, <laughs> first my of all, butt off. you can be in a tuxedo on July 29th, but you will be by yourself. The event is on July 29th. 9th. Yeah, July 9th. July 29th, I'll be at the beach. Never yes, mind. Yes. Okay. Uh, but all right, can we talk about the omakase menu and how you yeah, how absolutely. that came to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the omakase menu is loosely based around like a kaiseki-style menu. Mm-hmm. Um, which, can you explain both for those who aren't familiar with sure. either? Sure. So omakase roughly just means like chef's choice. Um, right. So you go to a place and you allow us to kind of like design the menu for right. you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the kaiseki-style format just kind of gives us like a backbone. So it's usually based around like multiple tea courses that are paired with local and seasonal ingredients and then techniques. Um, we kind of flip that around. So we focus on a lot of local ingredients and techniques. Um, and we actually just start you off with a with a tea. Um, right now we're doing like um, car car orange tea that's uh, seasoned with oolong. Well, as a tea fan, I totally appreciate that. Michael Schlau is a big tea fan, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He's yeah. really and into coffee. tea. He's a big, yeah, big he, coffee guy. Yeah. yeah, he's got an incredible He's got to stay awake. Yeah, yeah. as much as he palette. does. Yeah, for so sure. how, working with a internationally known chef like Michael Schlau mm-hmm. and his concepts, and since Namako is a new concept for him, how did you and he work together to create the menu? And then how do you go about, I know you're putting your fingerprints on it, but it is somebody else's vision. How do mm-hmm. you work together to make that happen? Well, it's really a kind of a combined vision. Like we worked for a long time, like many months on developing the menu mm-hmm. uh, where he would send me like things where he would write a whole menu and I would write a whole menu and he would do a whole one and I would do a whole one. And then over the course of a couple of months, we kind of like picked and choose the best of the best from all of it. Uh-huh. Um, but he's actually really fun to work with him. He'll, like, he'll text me or email me like, hey, I had this idea for a dish that has X, Y, and Z, and I'll just like... like isn't there like a matzo ball ramen or something like that? Yeah, yeah. that one was really fun. I actually that kind was of, really good. That it was, was almost really like good. a joke where one day we were just spieling stuff, and he was teaching me a lot about Italian food and specifically like uh, some Jewish food too because I was very unfamiliar with like... I think he mentioned it, and I was like, what's, what's matzo ball? Oh, my and God, And I didn't dude, even know. He, he explained it to me and then showed me how to make it, and uh-huh. it was a great experience. And I was like, we should put this in the miso soup, ha, ha, ha. And he was like, that's a great idea. I was like, <laughs> you know, okay. <laughs> but meanwhile, it became and, like a star, right? Yeah, and now right? it's great. So, so I would say it's really more like that. Like, it's just fun. It's collaborative. It really shows off kind All of right. what we do at the restaurant. Now we've got to talk about the, what mo- some people might think is the most mundane part of this, but is so important, and that is the rice. You do something with mm-hmm. the rice. Right. That really nobody else does. Usually when you get sushi, the rice is, eh, you know, it might be cold. It might be. No, the eh. rice is at the right temperature. It's very important. Well, yeah. yeah. So 
So the rice is really the star of the show at any Japanese restaurant that you go to, and you should really start there. That's my barometer for, mm-hmm. for a sushi restaurant. That's where we start. Um, and specifically, we use a koshikari short grain uh, Japanese rice, um, which is the best that we can get right now. And rice actually does have seasons. Like right now, we're coming uh, towards the end of the best rice season, the growing season. Um, but specifically, we cook batches throughout service, uh, and then we have special sushi rice holders that hold it at a very specific temperature. Um, and then the chefs themselves actually have a side holder. So during service, they'll be taking it out of the warmer and let it come to the perfect temperature before they make the nigiri. But the key is that... It, the, the, what is the perfect temperature? The is perfect it... temperature uh, should be at body temperature or just above. So okay, Right. So, so just... when it comes, it's warm, but it's not too warm. It's not right. mushy warm. It's yeah. just warm. And yeah, not... so it, and it really makes all of the ingredients sing. Like Hell there's a yeah. touch of wasabi in there. There's a little bit of vinegar from the mixing in the rice. And if it's cold, you don't taste those things. But if it's mm-hmm. just a warm enough... It really opens up the floral qualities of the wasabi. You get a touch of spice and vinegar and sweetness. Well, and let's talk about the fish, mm-hmm. which is also the star of the show as yeah. well. Um, like, let's talk about what you brought in today. Sure. So what we have in front of us, so this is one of the dishes off of the Yomakase tasting menu. Uh, this mm-hmm. is our sashimi course right now. Um, and I can't so, believe nobody here has gotten into the hamachi. Well, it's not anywhere near me. <laughs> okay. Will you please pass it over to me? I mean, yeah. Please, Before he yourselves. starves I'm after eating all the cannolis too, and arancini. I didn't eat a cannoli. Mm-hmm. I ate an arancino. So all. this is to be seasonal. Um, right now we're really focusing on herbs and lightness and brightness. So this mm-hmm. is a house-made uh, ponzu that it's served in, which is finished with yuzu juice. Uh, it's paired with mint and basil and finished with a little bit of micro cilantro. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. And then fresh herbs and chilies. Uh, and then actually underneath there, there's like a very fun condiment that we make in-house is uh, our own chili crunch. All right, Which well, is so popular. Chili yeah. crunch is like... The hot thing at the Here moment. It it's one of the ready? new. It's the new sriracha. Yeah, don't you for think? Sure. Like you can put oh. that on anything, and it's amazing. I know. I do put it on. I like it on potatoes. Actually, mm-hmm. I think it's fried really eggs, good. potatoes, and fried eggs for breakfast. God, so that is nuts. So can we talk mm. about cutting the fish? I took a little video mm-hmm. of you, and you talked about cutting the fish in a certain style. Yeah. And knowing how to cut the fish, especially for a sashimi and sushi, is so important because if not, it can be sinewy. Yeah. You can taste tendons and stuff. So how do you how do you work with the fish that you get? So one of the things uh, specific about that, and this is the first thing that I go over with new chefs, is mm. like we at sushi bars, you see all these big, long knives, right? Right. And a lot of people think a knife, like slicing is an up and down motion, but it's really a long slice motion. Okay. Right? Um, so On these big angle? knives that we have. Yeah. So you start at the base of the knife and you finish the slice at the tip of the knife and mm-hmm. it's one single motion uh, okay. is the key. All right, and I just want to announce, Joe Ferrugio has now um, given up pizza. He's and now he's serving sushi. He's going into the sushi business. Yeah. Well, you're opening right across, uh, right around the corner from us, so we're going to be best buddies. How about now. a sushi pizza? Yeah. There How you about? go. Yeah, we can do that. For sure. All right, Derek. I love sushi. Yeah. Tell, everybody loves sushi. Tell us, please, where we can find Namako, where we can find you on Insta, where we can find Namako. For sure. Well, first and foremost, everybody should just come to the restaurant. Like, it's so much fun. We have a big open kitchen. Oh, my kitchen. God. With pride, everybody. Um, it's going to be are. insane yeah. Yeah. We're down doing there. A big pride. We have the windows open right now. We're doing yep. takeout cocktails. We have uh, some desserts and some soft serve ice cream. We're be there in a little uh, bit. We're open for brunch right now, Oh, my which God. Is we great. didn't even get to the soft serve. I yeah. forgot. Okay. Yeah. But that's Alex Levin. Yeah. We'll talk to Alex about that. Yeah, stuff. we'll go there. But okay. also, Save yeah, the website, the Instagram, but just come say hi. That's All the right. big thing. We're a part of the neighborhood. We love the neighborhood and the city. And just come in and say hi. Give me a wave. I know you two do that every time you're in. Where so. are you on Instagram? Uh, I actually am well, a big participant in the Namico Instagram, and then I have my personal Instagram, but I mostly do the Namico one. Which All is, right. No, yeah. he doesn't want to give it. Namico DC. Yes, or Namico DC. Yes, he does want to give it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All Thank right. You. Thanks, Derek. Thank you, Derek. All right, Tommy. Yes, One sir. thing we haven't talked about, you know, you, you kind of made it sound like I came, I saw this land, I built, I found the whole house, and suddenly I'm making cider. It, 
it took a lot. You, you also built a tasting room. Yes, yeah, we haven't so talked first, about the tasting room at all. How long did all. that take? Well, I first built the production facility um, on my own, and I filled it with equipment and made cider, and then I built the tasting room later. It was... Um, You're like the Johnny Appleseed of building I, I do everything, cideries. yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, it was an old uh, dilapidated house when I got the property. So it was a property next to me. Initially, I was just going to do farmer's markets, have a really small company. Um, and then three months later, the pandemic started, and all the farmer's markets closed. So I mm-hmm. had to quickly pivot. Um, I am in the agriculture reserve. There's lots of land up there and a brewery not too far from me that just opened was doing really well because most of the lower county closed down. Most of D.C. closed we down. Had those guys on the show, didn't we? Mm-hmm. I trying to remember. And, What's yeah. the name of the well, brewery? He used to uh, work- Lone Oak? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, That's- he, he does all of uh, Central Farm Markets. Yes. I, I yes. do the Central Farm Markets in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so we... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we came uh, up to, uh, we saw them, saw how busy they were, and decided, like, we need to have a tasting room, have an open, safe space for people to gather, because um, we can't do sales anywhere else. The property next to me was abandoned since I lived there for five or six years, the dilapidated house. I acquired that property. Um, I completely gutted the house, made it into a barn, and eventually turned that barn like by yourself? into a tasting room. Uh, mostly. I, I had a help with the demolition crew, but they were doing a pretty bad job, so I kicked them off and finished it, yeah. <laughs> He's could, a doer. Could you? Could we give you our address and could you come okay, over? Okay, so tell people about the tasting room and how they can experience. Let's talk about your events. And then you got to give a shout-out to your 9-year-old. So I, let's, right. let's do it. So uh, tasting room is about 45 minutes from D.C. and 45 minutes from Baltimore. It is uh, in Gaithersburg, Maryland. It's two-story chimney cider works. Uh, it's a beautiful place to come out to. We have six ciders on tap and four gluten-free beers on tap. Uh, we have food trucks there most days as well. Uh, there's always kids outside playing, um, tons of open space. Uh, by all means, come and visit, have our ciders there. Uh, I also, I do have a nine-year-old son who's been doing farmer's markets with me since we started four years ago. Uh, made a lot of friends with the vendors and other food trucks. Um, he loves cooking very much. Uh, he plays video games about pretending to be a commercial chef and decided he wants to have his own food truck. So this summer, instead of camp, uh, him and I are building out a food truck, and he will open his very own taco food truck in september wow we cannot wait and you will bring him on the show he will be with his tacos so we can celebrate him on air he would love that that'd be great okay tell everybody please where they can find you on instagram on instagram at two-story chimney uh same on facebook excellent is there one more that you're there's one more cider our last cider is our seasonal strawberry cider there's Mm. a local farm down the road from us pleasant valley produce Mm. we get strawberries fresh from them we press them add them to our cider to make our strawberry cider and tomorrow will be another Pleasant Valley Sunday. Yes, sir. For your monkeys fans. <laughs> All right. All right. Do you want to say something quickly before I, I wrap up? So everybody knows what's going on in Ukraine with that with that uh, dam that uh, the Russians say they didn't damage. Um, and that war still, you know, kind of grinds on. So reach into your pockets, send a buck, send five bucks to the Red Cross, send it to Jose and um, World, World Central, Central Kitchen. Kitchen. Take care of those folks. Mm-hmm. And um, I also urge everybody, to I'm going to, I haven't done it yet, to read the 37-count uh, indictment okay. uh, because uh, that's going to be really interesting. Okay, that's for another show. But I do want to thank everybody for joining us today. All of our guests are coming in. We have so much food in studio. Stay uh, on my Instagram at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and also don't forget we're on YouTube now, not Foodie and the Beast, but Industry Night, um, because there's so much amazing things happening in and around the city. Again, wear your pride proudly as staunch allies. We hope that everybody knows that civil liberties are important for everyone. Uh, thank you to all the people, all the beautiful food, everybody. 
Be safe out there and have a delicious week.